morning, church. My name is Brett. I am the overseer over all of our congregations, and boy, it is great to see you today. Thank you very much for coming, especially our guests, and uh, we're grateful that you chose to make us your church home for an hour. Really special. We're going to talk today about the faith to distribute, faith to distribute. We're going to look at this second miracle of feeding a multitude. The first one was feeding the 5,000. This one is feeding the 4,000. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 15. And will you stand with me as we read the word? Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 through 38. It says, And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I don't want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? When Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. 35. He directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full, 38. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Lord, help as we study your word and help us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to talk to you about five things in this passage, and it's going to be storytelling, so I'm not going to go point by point. One, Jesus was motivated by compassion. Two, he asked uh, disciples. He recognized the need, what was going on. The disciples then told him their need. He then said, what do you have? And then he began to multiply what they had to distribute to the 5,000. This, excuse me, 4,000, this is the, this is the second time this miracle has happened now, like this, in the last five to six months. So the first feeding was the feeding of the 5,000, one chapter before in Matthew chapter 14, and it had happened in Israel, within the boundaries, borders of the nation. This feeding happens, we believe, in the Decapolis, which is on the border, other side of the border, east of Israel. Jesus had gone to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the people were following him because of the miracles that he had done and the teaching that he gave. And I don't believe he was looking at this as a moment where he put up posters and said, come with me for a three-day conference. I just think it kind of happened. People got healed. He said some good stuff. They wanted to continue to follow. And all of a sudden, one day rolled into another that rolled into another. People didn't plan for a large conference. They didn't plan for a long conference. By the way, you're going to get out of here before one today. <laughs> they didn't plan for it. And so they just wanted to be in the, in the power of the anointing. Now, the first time when the feeding of the 5,000 happened, the disciples, it was three days as well, the disciples piped up. They're the ones who said to Jesus, you need to send these people away because it's, 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 it's late. It's, they've been out here a while. They didn't expect to be here this long. And it's Sunday and Chick-fil-A's closed, so there's no way they're going to get food. 
And Jesus said, why don't you give him some to eat? What? Whatever we have would never be enough for them. Why do you even talk like that to us? Now, the disciples were a little bit dull, just like us. They didn't realize that God was going to do something beyond whatever they had to feed a bunch of people. They've never seen a miracle like this. And so I give them a little benefit of the doubt, but not much. Because if they had read their Old Testament, they could see that God would multiply little to make a lot. With Elijah, we talked about that last week, the widow with the little cake and the, and the oil. And then Elisha, who was his protege, did the same thing with a, with a woman who only had a little bit of oil and multiplied it until she was able to pay all of her debts and live off the rest. She had one little jar of oil and God began to do things. We'll talk more about that later. But all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see God doing miracles for his people. They go way beyond whatever the supply is naturally. The disciples should have known that this King Jesus was more than just a monarch who was to sit in the place where David's son was to sit. He was called the son of David, the Messiah. They should have known that this one was able to do much more than just rule well, but to change circumstances in people's lives to a degree that would alter the reality in which they live so that they could better serve God. They should have known that. They'd been with him long enough, but they did not realize that he was about to do something great. And so they balked at his idea of, well, why don't you feed them? Now, that was five months ago. Here we come to almost the same, same thing. I mean, it's just about to be, you have 4,000 men, women and children, probably 9,000, 10,000 people. Before it was 5,000. But who's counting with 1,000? You're saying there's a multitude of people out there that need to be provided for. And the disciples did not reflect back on what God had done five months earlier. Compassion does a lot for a human being. I'm not talking about you having compassion. I'm talking about the compassion you have for somebody else. Compassion does a lot. When you're just trying to end the meeting, when you're just trying to get down the road and fulfill your responsibility and clock in and clock out, you say what the disciples say. Send these folk away. I got to get back to my family. I don't have time for all this mess. Too much work to do. But compassion makes you go beyond. So I said, Jesus looked out over the multitudes and felt compassion. When you look out on the multitudes that have great need, what do you feel? How does it move you? My hope is that you would feel the compassion that God has for people who do not have You've been privileged, many of you, to come into a relationship with God that allows you to experience things in a way that other people only dream of. Circumstances that you face are not different than what they face, but you face them differently. You have a perspective that allows you to insert God into whatever tough time you've got. You allow the Holy Spirit to inspire you to be different every day. You spend time with Him. You let the Word begin to mold you. You let your mind begin to be transformed according to his word. You let your relationships be those which are glued to you, not disposable. Why? Because God wants you to stay with people. He wants you to hang in here with people. That's why he's giving you the wonderful tool belt of, 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 of fix it. Forgiveness, tolerance, patience, understanding, kindness, love. All those things are so you can hang in there with people when they are intolerable, unlovable unkind 
you come with a different set of rules through which you make decisions. The world doesn't. And too often we get mad at them because they don't make decisions. Right. We get mad because they don't observe our truth, which is truth. I understand what people are trying to communicate when they say, this is my truth. I get it. But there is a truth. There is a truth. And if my truth doesn't agree with that truth, my truth is not truth. It might be factual. It might be factual. I'm not denying that it exists. But truth is something different. Truth is that which needs to be conformed to. Truth is that which needs to be accepted. And then we allow it to change us from the inside out. We adhere to it. And when we don't adhere to it, we repent so we can. We don't fight against it. I'm not trying to fight against people who aren't interested in what I believe. I'm not mad at them for not adhering to what I know to be true. Compassion. Compassion ought to fill our soul because then they aren't the enemy. Now they're people I need to serve. How do I configure my words and my actions and my heart to really respond to them in a way that allow them to see who God is? I'm not going to be overly offended when they offend me. In fact, I'm going to expect that they offend me. And because I know they're going to offend me, I'm going to forgive them before they do it. I'm going to decide before I go into the relationship that, that this thing here, whatever they say, under the blood, not going to hurt me, water off a duck's back, don't be good. Because you don't want that to get in the way of gospel presentation. You don't want your offense and your feelings to stop you from doing what's most important for their benefit. Why? Because you feel compassion. Even in the midst of them making you mad, you feel compassion. When you think about Jesus, did anybody agree with him? Even the disciples didn't get it. Surely the religious leaders of the day didn't. And all the people, the multitudes were talking about, all they did was just follow him to get fed, to get healed. They just had needs. He knew he was being used. He understood that people didn't want to hear a thing he had to say, that he would find no agreement on the earth, that the only place he would find agreement every day is in the presence of his father. He knew that. But he wasn't mad at the people to whom he was sent that were supposed to receive him. He wasn't mad. He was compassionate. And as a result of his compassion, he found himself in a place of saying, how can we meet these people's needs? Now, he was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the area of the Decapolis. And the Decapolis were ten cities there. Uh, and, and, and as he was there, you, you realize, some people may have followed him from Israel to that side, but now he's dealing with a whole group of people who don't really understand anything about who God is. They're in, the, they're in the Gentile realm. They're us. They didn't grow up with Abraham as their, their ancestor. David is their great king. They had different ideas. Some of them were probably Samaritans. Many of them might just be Greek, Assyrians. 
We don't know, but we do know that it was a different crowd at some level. And so we see Jesus here trying to minister the same kind of miracle to the covenantal people five months earlier that he wants to do to the people who are like us. Boy, if there's any statement about his desire to reach folk like us, this would be it. There were places and people that he reached, like the Roman centurion who had a servant that was sick, or the Syrophoenician woman who had a daughter. There were individual spots where he ministered to people like us who weren't Jewish. But this was an amazing thing in that, in that he, had, he intentionally traveled to that area to minister to these people. Outstanding. And I'm grateful because it gives us an example of how much he loved us too. Now, that may not mean much to you, for, but for those who are theologically astute about what the ministry of Christ looked like, he didn't ignore us while he was on the planet. While he was there now, he realizes it's been three days, okay? Uh, the people might faint on the way, so what are we going to do, disciples? Now, I'm convinced that the start of the passage we just read was filled with three days of waiting for Jesus, See, in the other one, when he, when, when he fed the 5,000, the disciples came to him and said, hey, you need to send these people away. Here they say nothing. Nothing. And I'm convinced Jesus is waiting for them to say, you're going to do that miracle again? <laughs> Man, that was so cool. We gave you five loaves and two fish. and like, blah, 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 and you made it into so much food, dude. That was outstanding. That was cool. And that was just five months earlier. Almost the exact same scenario. And we hear nothing from the disciples about anticipation. Before I begin to talk about the disciples in a critical way, I think it's important for us to remember how much God has done for us and how many times when we face impossible circumstances, we find ourselves in the same position as them rather than going, ooh, God, what you going to do? <laughs> oh, like you did it last time. Oh, I cannot wait. It's going to be great. No, no, no. Ah! Oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. God, help me. Ah! It's like he didn't show up five months ago. And I know you're waiting for him to say something. But I think he's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm, I'm in the right spot for you to do a miracle. I'm ready. I'm waiting for you to do it. And if you want to use me, you want to participate with anything I got, I got it. Here it is. Let's get about it. Nothing from the disciples. Zero. Zero. So he says, these people are going to faint. What are we going to do? And the disciples, now they remember the other miracle. They just don't remember it rightly. We remember our tough times. Sometimes we just don't remember it rightly. We need to remember it through faith, not through pain. Are you listening to me? They didn't remember. But, but, and so, so he says, what are we going to do about these people who faint on the way? They say, well, I mean, what are we going to do? We don't have much. I mean, we, 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 how do you expect us to feed these people? I, <sighs> Doubt and unbelief, we need to fight every day of our lives. We need to press against it every day of our lives. Jesus presents the people's need, and they present, meaning the disciples, present their own need. 
what, what are we going to do? How can we do this? You know we only got a little. When God presents to us the needs of our community, the last thing we need to do is tell him how much we need. We need to respond. So they didn't respond initially when I think Jesus was waiting. And then when he gave them an opportunity to respond, they responded poorly by talking about their own need. How can we provide for these people, all these folk in such a desolate place? There are no restaurants on the corner. How? Again, just five months earlier, the biggest, when I say biggest, I'm talking about impacting the most people. Miracle since, since the Red Sea, people coming out of Egypt, plagues, I'm not quite sure, but it's pretty big. It's pretty big. And they got to experience it, the disciples did. They gave him five loaves and two fish. He broke it, broke the fish into loaves, and it just kept breaking. And they kept serving. And they walked away, each disciple in the first case with the 5,000, with a basket full of food they could take home to mama. It says there were 12 basketfuls left over. 12. So that's one for each disciple. Now, I realize that our American idea of sanitation, <laughs> of things being proper in their, their hygiene, is, is much different than the Middle East antiquity. They would eat from one one plate, they would recline at table, literally lie down on their bellies at about a 45 degree angle. There would be a table in the middle and everybody would just kind of share. I don't know if you've ever been to an Ethiopian restaurant here. That's kind of the way it is. You, injera, which is there like uh, tortilla, but it's not. And you just break it off and use it and you're in there and then you just, and, 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 and with, with all of our disease oriented sensitivities, Nobody wants to do that. And I'm not mad. I get it. But I'm trying to tell you how these people were thinking. So when they came home, having been the servers that cleaned up the table and all the scraps from people who left whatever was left over on the table and they put it in baskets, mama was happy. They came home with more than what they left and probably had a week's worth of food. If only they had a selfish bent to at least say, can we do that miracle again? Because we haven't gone to the grocery store in a while. I'd like to take something home to mama. If only they had that, there would have been some kind of response, even though that is woefully below, below par, woefully below par, to try to get something out of God when you're trying to serve people, to make you benefit when you're, trying to suppo when you're supposed to help other people benefit. Wrong attitude. But generally, God will use whatever he can. Whatever he can. But they didn't even do that. And so Jesus says, what do you got? They say five, seven fish, seven loaves, and a few small fish. When we say, when we tell God, what we have, and we know from last time he's probably going to take it. We don't want to magnify what we got. We want to make it seem just as little as possible. We got seven loaves and some sardines. Teeny goldfish. 
few small fish. We want to discourage him when we're not interested in him touching our stuff from taking our stuff. Somebody should have said, listen, I'm, we only got a little bit, but I'm going to go find some more. So you can, you can have more to multiply. That's what somebody should have said, but nobody said that. So they said, uh, seven loaves and a few small fish. And he takes it. And, and, of course, they're thinking, there goes our lunch. We prepared. These people didn't. Now we don't have any food. Again, forgetting what God did five months earlier. And he breaks it, and he keeps breaking, and keeps breaking. And the disciples are distri- distributing the food. And, and, and it, it, it's working again. And they're all just, the disciples are flabbergasted. I mean, they are just out of their minds happy about what the Lord is doing. And then they, they, they come to a place where now they have to pick up the leftovers. And they pick up seven basketfuls. Seven basketfuls, it says. Seven basketfuls. Yeah. That. They pick up that. And, 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 and they come back, and, and they're rejoicing again. And, and why, I, I think there's a difference between the 12 basketfuls that were picked up the first time and the seven this time. I think there's a difference because when you're dealing with, with covenantal people in Israel, they kind of know how to respond. They may not be perfect, but they know how to respond better than the world. So if you're serving them, if we do something in this church and we provide dinner, there will always be people, or lunch, there will always be people who get up, take their plate, put it in the trash can, and figure out how to help serve and clean up. What can I do to prepare? In the, in the world that doesn't have any idea about what God expects a, peop- a person to do when they are called to serve, it's a different story. And so there very well may have been 12 basketfuls of food left over. But I think many of the folk who were Gentile in their orientation looked at this, this bounty and said, I need to take some home to mama. And started filling their pockets. And listen to me, this is what Grace Loves is all about. We're not trying to figure out how much we can keep after we give it away. We're not trying to figure out leftovers for us. Whenever we give from Grace Loves and whenever we distribute to the community, it's all about them and we are expecting nothing from them. If we get anything in service, fine. But it means nothing to us in that respect. Absolutely nothing. We are privileged to be able to give away what we've got. And may I say that distribution is an opportunity that you need to relish in terms of being inconvenienced by. That God has given you stuff not only for you to be provided for, but he's given you stuff to help provide for others. And any time he is is letting you recognize there are things that need to be done outside of you, whether it's giving in an offering here, boy, you need to take that dollar bill, take that tin, take that check, take that QR code, and you need to distribute your resources in a way that allows for other people to benefit out there. Whether it's your time, your talent, we need to figure out how in the world can we take whatever we've got and make it more. And not try to say, I'm not enough. Lord, I don't know all my scriptures. You know I can't minister. Lord, I still have a whole bunch of needs. 
I've got so many problems. I can't really help anybody else because I got to deal with my own. Generally, we're always looking to ourselves rather than others. But compassion makes us not be reversed in our, in our focus and begin to look at our own heart. But it keeps us focused on others. And it's important that we do not come to God and say, Lord, I don't have enough. Moses. The leader of Israel. The best leader and up to David, anyway, one of the best in the Old Testament, if not the best, in that he had to form a family into a nation that was, that was really reluctant to become one. God comes to him and says, I want you to go, and I want you to go to the people of Israel there in, 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 in Egypt. They're, they're enslaved. I've heard their cry, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he does everything he possibly can to get out of it. He doesn't want to go. Not a good idea. And so he's, he's arguing with God, giving him an excuse one after another saying, who am I? Well, when God tells you to do something, it doesn't matter who you are. It's it, it, like, are you, are you giving him new information about who you are? <laughs> he knows exactly who you are, and that's why he called you. Who am I? Doesn't matter. It's who I am, says God. When I'm with you, it doesn't matter who you are. You know I can't speak, oh Lord. My mouth is just not what it should be to communicate your word. Who made man's mouth, God said. I just am not ready. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? You mean this staff, this dead stick? Throw it down. It became a snake. God can take dead stuff and make it powerful. It is so important that you understand the little bit you got is all God needs. That's all he needs. Don't make it an excuse as to why you can't. Let it be an opportunity for God to multiply so you can. We are called to be distributors, not hoarders. And when we distribute, it doesn't mean that he's not going to be able to provide for us. He does that. He's always done that. But it's vital that we understand how important it is for us to be considered the most, the most eligible folks on the planet through which he can bring his covenant. Not many people are saying yes with the stuff they got. He's trying to get us to do so. Let's not begin to say, I only. I just. But say, Lord, here it is. This is what I got. Multiply it. My strength my talent, my time, my money. I want to be a distributor. I'm not going to fight against this. He takes it, and, and all the disciples carry seven baskets. And, and, and they, I imagine they split all that up so everybody got something to go home with. And I am convinced that not only did they feed 5,000, excuse me, 4,000 men and then women and children well, which represents somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 to 10,000 people. But I'm convinced that the disciples got something driven down in their soul that allowed them then the privilege of leveraging these two moments to become those which were teachable moments that allow them to go into a different spot in the spirit. And there are, there are ministry opportunities that we miss because we only think we have a little. Whether it's finances to give away, whether it's resources and, and wisdom and understanding or time, we only think we have a little. And I'm begging you today, 
Look at your little as enough. Look at your little as enough. And watch what God will do. Become a distributor of his resources. Allow the Holy Spirit to use you in unusual ways. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Father, for your goodness and grace. I ask for your empowerment as we move forward as a people. Help us to take the little we have as a congregation and multiply it to feed a lost and dying world.